Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. It's Monday, February 12th, 2018. And I am happy to be with you today in this beautiful, very gentle snowfall here in Boulder, Colorado. And I am here all cozy with uh, Corey DeVos, who is a mere mile away. Hey, Corey. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm good. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's been, yeah. uh, it's been a while. Yeah. Back from the flu fever dreams. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly crawling my way on the uh, shamanic path back to recovery. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back. Well, thank you. Yeah. So today, I thought we would just take a look at some of the questions and feedback that I get from listeners and viewers. And um, I love it. It's, we're, I'm getting a lot of feedback these days and questions. And uh, they're so good. They're so smart. And I, and I really encourage them. So, you know, if you're interested, just email me at jeff at dailyevolver.com, Corey at integrallife.com. Uh, and, uh, or send one of uh, a, 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 a um, audio memo. You can do those too. And I really appreciate them. So, um, so Corey, today we wanted to work our way through a few questions here. Yeah. And why don't we start with the first one from Linda? Oh, and yeah. I'm going to do a screen share on this one. This is a cool one. Oh, cool. Awesome. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read her question. First off, let me say, Linda, you've got, a, you know, obviously you've got really good taste. Because you say, hi, Jeff, I am a high school teacher and just wanted to share that I brought your Star Wars episode to my class who are currently reading The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. They loved it. I also shared your Saudi Arabia episode last year. Class notes are attached. Thank you for all that you do, Linda. Isn't that great? I mean, I love the idea that this would be being taught in high school. And I will, I would assume that at some point it will be, you know, if we're right about emergence and evolution. Uh, but I, I, you know, Linda, you did a great job with the personal and the society in terms of laying out the stages. You got the ego included by the ethno, included by the world centric. It's, it's all good. Good job. So these and, are, these are, those were her class notes. Yes, exactly. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, and it actually points out the acceleration of development, because if you think about the, how long it took for human beings to work their way to modernity, it was about 250,000 years before we got to modernity. For an individual human being, it's about 12 years or 14 years. And that's really an astonishing thing when you think about the development of human beings. And, and it's one of the sort of magical aspects of evolution that the center of gravity of the culture that you're in pulls the individual up to their optimal level. And, you know, some people grow to modernity and post-modernity and to an integral stage, and some people don't. And, you know, we don't exactly know why. Uh, I, I, I always love what Ken says, karma could account for that, you know, mm -hmm. the 10,000 lifetimes we bring in. Uh, but at any rate, it's true. And I can th think of, you know, when I was in high school, that we were kind of 
all the same, my friends and I, when we were in fifth grade and sixth grade and then seventh grade and eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I'm 13. I'm reading Ayn Rand. You know, um, um, you know I'm, I, I'm all over the place intellectually and you know, losing my religion, becoming an atheist. And some of my friends were with me and some of my friends just decided they were going to start being more interested in the opposite sex. And they started dating and coupling and getting married. And it was just a different kind of thing. And there's, you know, a, a, just a, that natural move forward for people who want to go there. And to have an integral beacon, to have an integral center of gravity that is pulling kids up in a high school, I think it's, you know, I think you're one of the first. I think it's right on schedule that this be happening. And it is a very encouraging thing. Yeah, it's cool Thanks. to see. It, it, it definitely seems, Jeff, like uh, some people really are born, you know, it's, it's the old nature nurture argument, right? Some people are born with just a certain amount of rocket fuel that they yeah. have available to them. Now, how far that rocket fuel is going to be capable of taking them in a single lifetime has a lot to do with the world that you're born into and the types of opportunities that are present for you, the types of communities that you can, you know, be a part of, uh, Absolutely. Of loops that you have with your environment. And so, I mean, that, that seems to account for sort of this accelerating pace of evolutionary unfolding. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. And, and these other questions sort of get at different uh, angles on this same thing. And so let, let's go to question number two from Christina. Yeah. So... This is Christina out here in Idaho. Any day that has a new Daily Evolver podcast is a great day. Oh, thanks, Christina. <laughs> Thank you so very much for all your work. It's lonely out here. So I've spent the last seven years cultivating my appreciation for the gifts of all previous levels of consciousness. Now I'm asking myself how to discern what cannot or should not be included in the movement toward an integral perspective. Can you give any kind of guideline or perhaps qualities of previous levels that should not be brought forward in what we need to include? I've always used inclusivity as a general guideline, but I'd like, but I'd really be interested to become more adept at spotting and unpacking the negatives of previous levels. Yeah, what a great question. And, uh, you know, a common one and an important one. And I actually think that you hit the nail on the head, Christina, with the idea of uh, inclusivity is uh, to the degree that they're not inclusive, you wanna leave that part behind. I, I often say that we wanna bring forth everything from previous stages, but their exclusivity claim. It's sort of just a negative way of putting it. Mm. And, uh, and that's pretty much everything, it, but it's liberated into a space that doesn't make the claim that it's the only way to be. And that's very much characteristic of all of the first six stages of development that, that we have in the aqua model, Ken Wilber's aqua model, the altitudes of development, is that each, each stage is monoperspectival. That is, it is just self-evident to them that the world space that they live in is the right one, you know, because they have eyes and ears and because, you know, they can see the world. And that to the degree that other people don't live in that world and don't agree with that reality and, and stages disagree, uh, then they are see the other as wrong, 
And then if it's worse than wrong, they're bad. And then they go to evil and then they must be stopped and they must be eliminated. It's a whole cascade of bad news. When you cast people who are, see the world differently as outside of your circle. And that's what each of these do, including, I might say, the highest of the first six stages, which is green, we call postmodern stage of development, the green meme, if you will. And, uh, and, and their um, you know, motto is inclusivity and tolerance and, and multiculturalism and you know, the, 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 the diversity uh, insight, which is brilliant and amazing. But they actually don't include people who don't agree with them. Right. So yes, you could, have, you could be of any creed and color or body type or gender or whatever you are, as long as you're multicultural. But if you're not, if you voted for Trump, sorry, excluded. So, you know, so I could feel my own green self who says, yeah, but these people are dangerous. You know, they're racist, they're anti-environment, they're whatever. And, uh, and, and so, you know, welcome to the fight. Just because we're integral and friendly to all stages doesn't mean that we can't have political stands and, 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 and that we can't get, get in the into the arena and do the fighting. But we do it from a bigger view that doesn't demonize or vilify uh, the people who are at the stage of development that they ought to be. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I think the next question actually gets to a sort of a deeper penetration on this. Uh, Corey, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. so. Why don't you read it? This is from Derwin. And Derwin's very smart and always has such great insights. And um, go for it, Corey. Yeah, okay. So Derwin writes, Jeff, it might be worth you revisiting the distinctions within integral psychology regarding enduring versus transitional structures. We need to affirm the healthy expression of amber traditionalism collectively, while personally, the goal is to heal any remaining amber subpersonalities so that we can experience that mini transformation that comes from no longer having any of our subjectivity stuck there. Stop and there, Corey, for a second. Sure. I love that. Um, so we need to affirm the healthy expression of amber traditionalism collectively, but and personally, the goal is to heal the remaining amber subpersonality. So to see and heal the parts that are stuck there. Mm -hmm. So that we can experience the mini transformation that comes from no longer having any of our subjectivity stuck there. So in, we want to include it, but liberate it. That's right. And I love how he puts things. But yeah, anyway, I do too. It's sort on. of using awareness to, to kind of lubricate the gear works, right? So yeah. that everything starts kind of moving forward a little bit more smoothly. Right so the on. second half of his question was, in other words, the view of traditional is gone for us at anything beyond a traditional stage. Although we might be able to remember what it was like for us when we were traditional. The rung of amber is built into the cognitive structure we already have now in, the for in that formal operational cognition literally enfolds the concrete operational structure. We don't have to worry about that. So he's talking about, he's basically talking about ladder climber view here, um, which, is, which is important, I think. Okay, so ladder climber view. This is a formulation that we use in Integral. And I got to say, I've never quite got my arms completely around it. So lay it on us. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think the, the, the general idea of ladder climber view is first off, you're the climber, okay? And development 
the, 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 the lifelong process of growing up through multiple stages of development is sort of like a ladder that consists of multiple rungs. So the question is, when you move from, from one rung to the next rung, what's included and what isn't? And this is where we get to the, into the previous question. So what Derwin's pointing to is, is basically saying, which, you know, which is what Ken Wilber is saying, is that the rungs themselves are what's included. And those are called enduring structures. But the view from those rungs, that's not included. And those are always left behind. And those are called transitional structures. Okay, so I'm amber and I'm moving to, to modern. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm moving amber to orange. I'm traditional yeah. to orange. And so the, the rung of traditionalism st stays with me. That's, that's, that's there. Yeah. But I can no longer think as a traditionalist because I have this whole new strata of capacity online. That's right. You don't, you don't interpret the world. You don't have the same framing. You don't have the same vantage point on the world as you did when you were at that, at that previous stage of development. It, it, it Maybe a simpler way to, to look at it is, um, you know, a, as we grow, we, we sort of unfold from first person to second person to third person views. Well, when we're at the first person stage, the only perspective we can take is a first person view. So our view is inherently narcissistic and self-centered because that's literally the only perspective we can take. Yeah. When we grow and we, you know, we hit second person and then later on down the line, we hit the third person, we no longer have that exclusive first person view on the world, but, but we, we still could, have access but, to first yeah. person perspectives. Yeah, so that's the enough. wrong yeah. that, that's, that stays. Yeah. And, and as Derwin says, we can remember what it's like and we can feel into and empathize and so forth, but we can no longer, we can't be limited. We can't uncook the egg. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, even the Buddha, the Buddha started at square one and, you know, he ended up, you know, throughout his life on, you know, way up the ladder. And yet the Buddha still needs to eat and shit every day, right? That, that there's that right. rung of development that's never left. Behind. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> well, and I think this is, I, I, th I think this is important for a lot of, you know, for a lot of reasons, but first and foremost, I think it's critical for us as we have these conversations to remember the distinction between, you know, something like a view versus values. So, you know, for example, the left really spends a lot of time and energy ridiculing and marginalizing a lot of the, you know, problematic views of the right, particularly the ones that come out of that red or amber level of, of development. And that's right. where we find things like racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia. Those are, those are the views of this, of this, you know, amber stage um, of development. And, you know, yeah, th they should be negated. They, you know, those views are no longer compatible with the center of gravity of civilization today. But the thing that I think a lot of liberals or just a lot of folks on the left forget is, you know, those are all views and those should be sort of marginalized out of culture, but things like the drive for safety, the drive for belongingness, you know, uh, the, the need to have a, a shared group identity, the need to have some degree of moral certainty, um, uh, the need for enduring traditions. I mean, these, are, these aren't the views of Amber, these are the core values of Amber. Right. And I think that the more the left the more the left continues to only address the problematic views without actually trying to acknowledge and understand and account for the values, the underfed values 
of the Amber stage. Well, right. that, that's where the really nasty views come from is, is from those values, first and foremost, not, not being met, not being fulfilled. Yep. And when you're not fulfilled, it, you know, you, 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 you tip over really easy into these, you know, again, these really nasty kind of views. And the green has, you know, green has its own version of that, you know, with the, with the postmodern stage of development, you know, the rung of, postmo of, of postmodernism is, like you said, multiculturalism, contextualism, constructivism, aperspectivalism. But Green's ability to fulfill those values, to see them fulfilled in the world is often sabotaged by their own views, you know, like pathological views, like, like, you know, outrage culture and, and uh, moral relativism, cultural relativism, the denial of cultural development altogether is, is a view of green that actually prevents sort of a full-throated multiculturalism from coming online in a in well, a which way. is what green is. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to fight traditionalism. Traditionalism is supposed to fight them. And the solution to the problem is integral. That's right. You know, right. actually it is. It's, yep. it's uh, you know, so we even be friendly to our green sisters and brothers. Yep. And, you know, everybody in between on the gender spectrum. Uh, because they're, they're actually creating new territory and staking out new grounds That's right. that help all of us. Yep. So that actually gets us to our next question. So yeah, well, it does. Well, and, and just because just I want to put a bow on the previous question in terms of what do we include and what do we leave behind, I mean, that, I think that sets up the answer in a certain kind of way. You, you, you include the values, but you negate the views. You leave the views behind, which I think is important. You know, if, there, if there's any future politicians out there listening, I, I, I think this is critical in terms of political skillful means because, if, again, if you want to eliminate those really malevolent views that are out there, you've got to make sure you're speaking to that underlying core of, you know, the underlying core values that these people don't feel like are actually being addressed in right today's political system. Right on, man. Well said. Oh, and I'm sorry, Jeff. I also wanted to tie this back to the, to the first, the Star Wars question, because, you know, one of the things I've been fascinated with is the reaction of the fan base to Star Wars and how many people, you know, didn't enjoy it. And one of the big reasons, I think, one of the big reasons why people didn't enjoy it is because they, they walk around with this nostalgia. They remember what the original movies felt like when they were kids. And then they watch these movies and they don't feel the same way. But if, of course not. Of course you don't feel that. You're not at that stage anymore, right? So nostalgia itself is a memory of a previous view that we once had that we can never really get back to again. And that's why nostalgia is usually so sort of disappointing, you know? Like I get in these nostalgia kicks where I look well, at- that's why, that's why the present is so disappointing too. Yeah, totally. You know, how does it stack up to a uh, hagiography of our past? <laughs> that's right. You, can't, you literally cannot enact this thing the same way you did when you were seven years old. So of course it's gonna feel different. I know, I hate that. Yeah. All right, question so, four. Question number four. From Mimi. From Mimi. I have been introduced to integral thought in the past six months and have loved it. I've been absorbing this stuff like a sponge. I'm a 67 year old woman and integral thinking has helped me pull together so much of what I've learned about this life material, which has been located in the silos in my psyche. I, I like that phrase. Yeah, so here's too. my question. In thinking about the coming online of the stages of personal and cultural development, 
I'm struck by how quickly the recent stages have manifested and what it means for our world to have so many worldviews at war with each other. Red, amber, orange, green, and integral seem to be alive and well on this planet. Earlier stages used to last for millennia before a new one emerged. So my question is, how can we keep red, amber, orange, and green from destroying each other before Integral can embrace and contain them? And there is the $64,000 question. <laughs> I know, that was, that's, that's an easy question. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I um, well, you know, you just grow in capacity. It, it's, um, that's one of the great things about the Integral view, and this is what we're, you know, trying to stake out this new territory where we can see the whole spiral of development, as we say, that is preceded us uh, in our individual life, in the life of, uh, you know, the planet and, and, and humanity. And we see that every stage, even though they hate each other, they bring on this thing that is really important to include in this bigger integral embrace, if you will. And, you know, we talk about <clears throat> just to start at the very, not the, maybe even at the very beginning, but <clears throat> if we look at tribal societies, the idea of magic being everywhere is actually something that we want to practice with as integralists and to feel, my goodness, you know, 13.8 uh, billion years ago, time and space blew into being and turned into heat, then gas, then quarks, then atoms, then and now us, you know, does that not light things up from inside somehow? You know, that realization? But we don't want the evil spirits, we don't want to be doing hexes on each other, we don't want to be all of that horseshit that comes with that magic stage of development, but we want the goodies. And this is what we're talking about. And we just, you know, just walk up the stages to red is where we, that the warrior stage is where we differentiate from mother and father. And we realize I'm my own thing and it's me against the world. And, you know, this is where we become powerful. This is where we get agency and developing an ego is progress. If you didn't have one, <laughs> that's so true of some, you know, adults who are really working on just differentiating and being a person with volition. And we want that. And then, you know, we move up. Traditionalism civilizes us. You know, we see uh, good and evil. We see right and wrong. We have a transcendent God whose vengeance is his. We don't have to worry about all of these blood, you know, uh, feuds. And, and then we get civilized. Then we're ready to move into modernity makes us rational. Uh, we can figure out the world on its own terms. We're no longer relying on myths and, you know, old scriptures. And then post-modernity, amazingly enough, human beings become deeply sensitive, you know? And so do we want, you know, as, as fully integrated human beings to be powerful, civilized, rational, and sensitive? Yeah, we do. And so, um, it's a little bit like when I think of Mimi's letter, she talks about the psyche, the, the silos in her own psyche. You, you, you pause there too, uh, Corey. And it's like, these are the silos in our collective psyche, these stages that are all online. 
And there's something about them that wants to be integrated because it's going to be so delicious when we do. And that is the integral stage. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stage beyond integral. And, uh, you know, at some point, I think we're just sort of beaming around the cosmos or something like that. That's right. Um, But um, I see my internet is unstable. I just got a little alert. (laughs) But at any rate, you know, if we think about civilized, rational, sensitive, what does integral feel like? And, uh, you know, it's integrated for sure. I mean, that's why we call it integral. And that is what we're doing. We're integrating those previous, um, you know, gifts. But it feels to me just somehow like the word friendly comes to mind. And all of that entails the sort of relaxed friendliness of somebody who thinks that the world is the way it should be and that somehow I didn't, you know, screw up and my life is the way it should be and that I get to live it. So, you know, that's how to me it feels. Corey, I'm interested to see how you might phrase that or what, what's your insight here? Yeah. Well, I, I, I like your worst. I like your use of the word friendly, though. I hope that doesn't preclude us from being, you know, assholes when we need to be assholes. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the sort of manjushri in a certain kind of sense where you, you've got all that divine wisdom and you've got that blade of discernment and you can, you know, use that blade whenever you need to, whenever yeah. you use, yeah. you know, in terms of, of sort of, you know, Ken himself often talks about the rat race, you know, what's basically what's going to win evolution or entropy, you know, are these, are these systems going to fall apart first or are new emergent systems going to come into being that are able to sort of, you know, address the life conditions that are currently unaddressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we take that sort of 50,000 foot view, you know, we can kind of say, well, evolution has a way of taking care of these things. Um, you know, oftentimes not in a very pretty way, or as, as you would say, you know, beautiful, but not pretty. Right. Did I get that right? Yep. Um, you know, so, so hopefully this time around evolution is able to do so without, you know, without killing a fifth of the world's population or, you know, something like that, which is the type of thing that we've seen before. Even when the dinosaurs were eliminated, that was a step forward for, you know, evolution, but it kind of sucked for the dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. And yeah, I, I do think that we can uh, recognize that there is a great pacification that arises at modernity. Mm. You know, and that it's reliable. That's when you realize that I don't have to fight my way forward anymore. I mean, I do, but not in the way where it's existential, like it is in the earlier structures. And that's why you see that modern people become far less violent, postmodern people far less violent yet. Uh, and, um, And I think to the degree that we can get the world, you know, um, to a modern center of gravity, which it isn't. There's, there's big pockets on the planet that are not uh, yet modern, uh, including, you know, aspects of our own culture that we're seeing clearly now. Uh, and, you know, that we have all of that online at the same time. Yeah. Is, it certainly makes for a far more complex structure. I mean, it's or far more complex integration. That's right. Like it, Mimi was saying, you know, yep. for most of human history, there was red fighting, you know, basically uh, conquering uh, 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 tribal. Yep. That was most of human history right yep. there. 
And then we have finally these great, uh, you know, empires that come online with traditionalism that mm -hmm. wring all of the, you know, magic out of the system. Yeah. Well, I think, Jeff, it's, it's also another reason why I'm really curious to know what the next, let's say, 20 years of integral unfolding are, are going to look like. You know, so far, in terms of the, you know, just the global integral project, which includes integral life and, you know, everything from core integral to meta integral, just sort of all of these activities that have been happening in this space, you know, they're, they're largely what we used to call two to two projects. So second tier for second tier or, you know, maybe Phoebe for integral by integral. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, just like a, a few questions ago, someone mentioned, you know, I'm lonely. Well, that's, that's what the last 15 years have been about is basically trying to allow self-identified integral people to constellate themselves, to find each other, to create some sort of community, to, you know, to, to, to just to find resonance out there so people can be themselves and they can be who they, who they know they are in a way that they don't necessarily feel like they can do in their everyday lives. Yeah. No, it's astonishing. And, um, you know, I, I was that. I was this totally. lonely integralist wandering around my library trying to, you know, shove Ken Wilber books down people's throats. Oh, no, it's for literally a long yeah. time, actually. Yeah. And, and to think that we actually have an integral community, there is one. There, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's, it's there and it's vibrant and it's virtual, mainly. Yep. That's right. And, and I'm waiting now for sort of that next wave which I think is going to be more focused on two to one solutions. So here are integral solutions for the rest of the world. And when it comes to that, I think that integral actually takes on, well, it's, it's sort of integral is coming into maturity in a certain kind of sense. And I think that the way we often talk about these things, it kind of inverts the pyramid. It becomes sort of stealth integral. So when someone is coming up with sort of, you know, two to one solutions, you're never going to hear the words like quadrants or levels or lines or states or types. All of that's going to be baked in, right? But it's not necessarily foregrounded. It's not necessarily explicated because that's, you know, it, it doesn't need to be. I mean, right. the theory is right. sort of less important than what can we do with this theory? How can we actually use this model to reduce suffering in real time? And I think a big part of that is, you know, using the integral framework, using the integral discernment, using sort of the qualities of integral consciousness to help identify these hot spots around the world and these leverage points where just a little bit more perspective, even a little bit more partial perspective. It doesn't need, you know, again, we don't need to like go into third world countries and drop sex ecology spirituality on people's head. No, we need to buy the women in the village, you know, each of the women a goat or something. You know, it, it's, it's much more partial. And it's, it, in fact, I would say it's it, integral becomes the art of being skillfully partial, right? And actually coming up with these not quite so holistic solutions, but more practical, pragmatic solutions yeah. that can actually find friction and make an impact in people's lives in, in a real way. And I think that's, I think that's coming. You know, I, often yeah, I do too. And I think it arises naturally. I, I do too. I, you know, I mean, when you, um, I, I often think that, you know, part of the integral practice is to, you know, deliberately take these perspectives, you know, mm -hmm. these earlier perspectives of different perspectives and, and look through other people's eyes. And when you do that, there's a point where you stop identifying with any perspective and start identifying with the space within which perspectives mm. arise. That's right. You get bigger. Yeah. You know, you inhale the great drafts of space that Walt Whitman talked about. Yeah. 
And when you do that, then, then you, um, you know, turn your attention to a problem or a situation in the world or in your family or whatever community, and you just automatically know more. Mm. You just automatically, it, it's obvious to you what needs to happen because you, ha you, you have wisdom. I mean, I think there's a sort of a, a word we already have for this, which okay. is wisdom. And it, it usually shows up, if it's going to, in older people uh, because they've seen more. You know, that's it's the process of seeing more. But what I'm noticing, just to get wrap up, to go back to the original question that we dealt with, uh, I'm seeing it in young people now. Yeah. And it's fun. Keith is too. Yeah. Keith is is that too. right? Is yeah. that right? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's cool. And, um, and I think we can wrap her up there. Uh, I feel like we've made a, a nice dent. In yeah, that feels good. We, uh, we have plenty more to come. Yeah, we do. And, um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, you guys did a talk on Saturday, you and Keith Witt. Yeah. It's now published on Integral Life. It's on the homepage. You can check it out. We'll send out a mailer this week about it. But it was a really, really cool discussion, about an hour and a half discussion, a presentation and a back, uh, back and forth Q&A with, with the audience about integral parenting. Oh, really? And it was great. And, you know, particularly sort of as a, as a follow-up to um, our conversation with uh, Miriam Mason Martineau, uh, I just, I, I, you know, I really appreciate having both of these guys available to us mm -hmm. and, and sort of, uh, you know, lighting the way forward because it's being a parent, man, it, it's the most rewarding it's a, and, and it's it an adventure. You. It kills yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, every decision is so high stakes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. You know, it's God's work. Yes, it is. L literally. Yeah. All right, Corey. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Daily Evolver, and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Bye.